Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we explore current themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by my global market specialists, Ross Walker and Jan Navruzzi. And we're going to start with Ross, uh, because you are our head of, well, economics, but also UK specialist. And we have the Bank of England today, uh, where everybody expected a quarter point hike. So, you know, really, well, that was delivered. <laughs> um, but the, the attention was really there on the guidance. And so maybe you could just explain to us what we got there. Yes, very little change on the guidance. It was really a, a carbon copy of what they published in March. So namely, there's still a hawkish bias there. They're referencing persistent inflation risks uh, and therefore, if required, uh, the possibility of, of further monetary tightening. Uh, ahead of this meeting, we thought there was a possibility they might uh, nuance that a little, maybe make it a little bit more symmetric. Uh, the fact that they haven't, um, I think, will clearly uh, shore up market expectations that there's there's at least one more rate rise uh, to come. I think um, we're still a little bit sceptical. We, we, we sort of lean towards the current 4.5% rate being the peak, um, partly because there is still a lot of policy tightening working its way through the pipeline, those previous bank rate rises that have yet to reach mortgage borrowers, uh, but also the data flow over the next few months. We think we will see certainly in terms of headline CPI, uh, quite a large drop. And, and we think that will begin to give the Bank of England a little bit more leeway. Uh, also bear in mind, the next meeting in June is not a quarterly forecast round. So uh, that maybe lessens the probability of a hike coming that month if there still is upward pressure on inflation. It could come a little bit later at the August meeting. Okay, so I guess then the question is you know, where that leaves us and you know, what would determine uh, what's going to be the determinant for their decision whether or not to, to raise rates um, again uh, at the next meeting or in the near future? Yes, yeah, so a lot of this is is centering on the labour market, uh, and and both the minutes and the monetary policy report today uh, did acknowledge that there is there is evidence in some of the, the high frequency survey indicators that we're seeing some loosening in labour market conditions, albeit from a fairly tight starting point. But you can see hiring intention surveys uh, cooling. We can see vacancies coming down a little bit. Uh, Some of the wage inflation surveys are suggesting maybe a levelling out. But our starting point, at least in terms of the the official wage data uh, that we had a few weeks ago, was that there was both a higher level of, of wage inflation and in the near term, a little bit more um, upside momentum. So certainly, I think the next uh, labour market uh, data that we'll get in a week or so's time will be uh, very important. The data that come a month after that will stretch to April, which is the, the single most important month for wage settlements. Um, so I think that's another reason to think that maybe from here, even if there is still an upside bias, an upside risk for the bank rate, um, there are going to be over the next few months some several several key data releases, and and maybe the MPC will just want to take a bit more time uh, to assess the inflationary outlook once they have those those labour market figures for April, and once we see in the CPI data, we've, we've, we're beginning to see big downside effects from last year's energy shock. All right, um, 
and so you know build you know thinking about those things um you know what is it uh about your view on on those triggers i suppose or those key themes that that may that, that leave you still below the the consensus on uh on, on the beat for or the trajectory let's say for the bank of england so i think um you know the, the inflation one of the other features of the you know the inflation report forecast is that you know the, the very high degree of of uncertainty around the medium term forecasts and and in a sense the lack of conviction and signaling um around those projections so the boe has become inevitably much more data dependent in in the near term the other feature of the forecasts they they published uh today in 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 the may report is that the interest rate profile that underpins those is for a little bit more tightening in the near term 40 basis points 50 basis points or so up to a 4 and 3 quarter percent peak but then relatively quickly and through 2024 and 2025 over 100 basis points of of rate cuts and in in many respects well that that feels like quite an extreme profile why would in a sense you 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 over tighten in the near term to have to relatively quickly engineer a series of rate cuts um possibly starting as soon as as the end of this year or the beginning uh the very beginning of 2024 so a lot of the signaling is 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 complicated and the implied policy reaction function i think that's increasingly placed into markets doesn't seem entirely credible i think either there's a much bigger inflation problem and they will have to continue tightening and perhaps take rates above 5% or leave rates at a higher level for longer um or there isn't they've done enough they can be more patient they'll just allow the pass through to work its way through um and eventually restrain consumer demand but this idea that we get this more aggressive near term tightening and then a speedy u turn um doesn't feel very plausible and i don't think it would necessarily be a, a particularly effective form of monetary policy all right thank you very much for so jen i think we go to you now uh, where i guess since the fed we've had two pretty significant um, sets of data back more than that but um you know maybe starting with the senior loan officer uh survey this famous slews which i didn't realize anyone called it that but um i i could learn that last week listening to you and uh, going over it so maybe you can give us a little rundown about what was in that yeah the the slews did show that lending standards for banks did indeed tighten uh we did see a move up uh in banks re- responding that they will be tightening uh you know they will be, re- be uh, they'll be requiring more stringent standards once they when they're making loans particularly in the commercial real estate area uh, real estate sector where uh the percentage of banks reporting that standards will be t- uh, tightening went up to like 68% which is not too far off from the previous crises of uh covid and the gfc and the oh one uh the dot com burst additionally we saw a, a substantial decline in all sorts of demand for loans both in uh from the commercial side but also from the retail side so expect lower not uh, not just harder loan origination but lower demand for them from both consumers and businesses uh as a rule of thumb we have in the past pointed out that something like 25% uh tightening in standards for uh commercial industrial loans tends to lead to uh about a 1 percentage point drag on the, on real gdp in the subsequent quarter uh looking at the past few releases uh, we estimate that 
that should lead to about just under two points of drag on GDP for Q2 and Q3. But given the broad-based tightening in standards across not just CNI, but also all the other categories, we think the risks to the downside in the economy are uh, are actually larger than that rule of thumb that I just spoke about. And uh, all of this brings us back to our point of why we see the economy slowing down later in this year, right? Like for us, credit and the slowdown in credit is a major, major component of uh, not just how the U.S. economy operates, but as an engine of growth in the U.S. And we think that will allow the Fed to kind of pivot into, uh, into the end of this year and start cutting rates. Okay, so I guess the other the other big one, and it really is a big one, is uh, is the CPI, and I suppose maybe as a little bit of a follow-on from that, uh, markets are reacting today to the PPI. So, you know, maybe you want to take uh, a discussion of both of those together, or maybe just talk us through uh, how that looked to you. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's worth focusing more on CPI because historically. Um, we talk about CPI, we're referring to consumer price indices as opposed to PPI, which is the producer side, a lot more influenced by input goods like commodities. Uh, and uh, PPI in the past was has shown relationship of leading CPI because it's the first kind of like the from upstream as it moves into the uh, into the consumer basket. That relationship has broken down uh, throughout COVID. It might resurface again, but it does have implications for the Fed's preferred measure of core uh, PCs, so like the personal consumption expenditures index that they use to gauge inflation. However, the CPI, which is which tends to be the more market-moving release between the two of them, show the 0.4 increase in both the headline which uh, component, which contains uh, both energy and food, and in the core side, uh, which strips out energy and food. Uh, that brings the year-on-year reads for the headline from 5 to 4.9%, and for the core to to 5.5 from 5.6%. So we are seeing a, a move in the right direction. At least we definitely did not see the pickup that some people were looking for, fearing more so that would require uh, the Fed to come back more forcefully and uh, you know just kind of end up realizing the, the nightmare scenario of inflation showing a, a deceleration, then uh, you know come right back again. It's too soon to say we're out of the uh, you know we're out of the danger zone, but. Uh, you know, signs are encouraging. Digging a little bit deeper within the CPI, the core goods basket did increase by 0.6 uh, on on the month of April. However, almost well, the entirety of that increase can be attributed to increases in uh, in used car prices. Those are not just very volatile, but they increased uh, or the component within CPI increased by 4.4 percent uh, on a monthly basis. We have been expecting that uh, that increase to come. At some point, given other wholesaler, car wholesalers have reported uh, a similar increase in their, uh, what, you know, in their inventory sales. But that has been a pretty short-lived two, three-month type of stint. And we do expect that uh, the lag has kicked in, and we expect used car prices will keep falling down uh, either next month or, or, or soon after that. Uh, if you if, if you don't look at used cars, and I, I'm not going to kind of go do this exercise where we strip out component by component from CPI and eventually end up with zero inflation, but uh, core goods were actually unchanged on the month if you you know if we if you excluded the used cars with them 0.6. And finally, uh, core services uh, advanced at 0.4 uh, for the month of April. That's a second straight month where we're seeing a 0.4 increase and comes after 0.6 is in the months before. Uh, that deceleration is certainly welcome. And 
the rental sites and uh, rental and shelter uh, it remained at 0.5. Actually, rent did tick up slightly to 0.6, but it is below the 0.7, 0.8 numbers that we're seeing earlier in the year and late last year. Uh, lodging away from home, so think about hotels, those show decreases in prices. Airfares show decreases in prices. Uh, so 0.4 is good. Moving in the right direction, we're looking for further deceleration, particularly as uh, rentals slowly continue to uh, drift lower. But uh, finally, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't move the needle all that much for uh, for core PC that the Fed is looking for. Perhaps the PPI today added a little bit of upside pressure uh, to uh, given which components are going to be used into, into PC, but uh, it didn't really change the needle that much. It didn't, you know, markets were, the Fed pretty much indicated that they're going to pause in June, and this report didn't uh, give us anything to question that. Uh, if anything, markets on the back of, you know, not just uh, inflation and PPI, but also everything that's going on in the banking sector uh, and Australian global central banks have been pricing uh, more and more rate cuts sooner. At when I walked in, as I was walking to this room and uh, you know left my uh, computer, the last you know the last reading showed about 45% of cuts priced in for. Of, of a single cut priced in for July, which is a substantial, uh, you know, a substantial uh, premium that the market is extracting. So uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the the pricing for the Fed that's got 110 basis points or something like that in for rate cuts by January next next year. Now I know that you're you know, you're, you know you've been more, more on the bull side, and he's, uh, I, I think he still likes deepeners and so on and so on and so on. But I, I just wonder, you know, given everything that you've said. How how you feel about that and how you sort of fit that into that whole that you're, you're thinking about the whole curve here? Yeah, I think uh, we do see a path to cuts by the end of this year. I mean, we have penciled in 50 basis points right now, but risks are certainly to more cuts than not in our view. Uh, even though our core PC forecast for the end of this year is 2.9%, the path to how you get there is is very important in our view. You're going to realize, uh, we think, 0.2s and maybe the oddball 0.3s on a monthly basis. If you annualize that, you get something close to the Fed's target. Plus, unemployment is going to be, uh, well, we expect unemployment will be taken up uh, substantially by then. We are looking for a uh, like a 4.2% by the end of this year. So that kind of environment alongside everything that is going within the banking system and fragilities have been exposed. Uh, we simply don't know if there's anything else also lurking there. We know that uh, unexpected risks are there. Well, by definition, they're unexpected, but uh, it will be in our, in our mind very hard to price out those insurance, uh, that insurance that the market is pricing in for the end of the year in, 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 uh, in terms of rate cuts. But uh, but yeah, we could see cuts happening earlier and, and faster and think the macro backdrop will, uh, will allow the Fed to pivot. Uh, yeah, so to summarize what I was saying, we, we are looking for cuts by the end of this year and we think that, you know, by the end of this year, we could be having an entirely different conversation about the future of inflation. But in Europe, uh, perhaps not as exciting as, uh, as the CPI or the Bank of England, but there were some ECB speakers. Do you want to walk us through what we heard and what was new in that from, from the speeches? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think we're leaving the least till last this time around. Um, you know, we're, we obviously had the ECB last week, and you know, I mean, ECB speakers come out and they you know, they tell us what they think. But I mean, there's not an awful lot for them to go on compared to the information they had uh, towards the end of last week. To be quite honest with you, so it's just I don't know, we're just refreshing 
where everyone stands and what kinds of things they think are important. And you know, lo and behold, they're the similar sorts of things that um, you know, they've been they've been talking about um, in, in in recent weeks. So we had Villaroy, you know, he he's still on the dovish side. Um, and he's talking about there just being a marginal distance left um, for them in this hiking cycle. So, you know, I think we know where he stands. Um, uh, I've always thought of him as being sort of quite the influential sort of you know, swing um, uh, swing member, if you like. But you no, know, he, he definitely seems on the dove side at the moment. We've had Nagel, who was talking this morning, yeah, I mean, a little less hawkish, I suppose, in the sense that he's sort of in line with the guidance that Lagarde chose to give at the meeting last week. So, you know, he, he, he was talking about, you know, maybe two more rate rises, um, possibly three, talking about you know, September being um, still live. So, no, that's that's his emphasis. I would say no, he's sort of in in the pack there. We had Schnabel. I mean, you know, she gave a speech, and you know, this is this lovely innovation that the ECB has recently uh, instigated to you know, avoid, I guess, somebody making a transcription or too much you know, stress on people's typing fingers and everybody else's reading eyes because they just give us the chance. They don't give us the uh, the full text, which means we don't get to page down to the end to see what the monetary policy conclusion is, but we have to kind of infer it from, from the chance that they choose to, to show. And yeah, as I look through that, I mean, you know, what do I see? Yeah, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, you know, one of her first charts was uh, you know, just highlighting the fact that CPI, at least uh, with the April flash, it appears to be realizing just a, a, you know, a tiny, tiny bit higher than the, the March um the March uh, forecast round. So you know you might take that as a little bit of a of a hawkish signal. But at the same time, there's plenty of recognition that some at least of the many measures of underlying inflation that they track are turning over. Even those famous um, momentum indicators, which are all high, 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 but they are you know, or many of them are you know, at least turning over, you know, it's a bit like the guy who looks up into the sky and says, you know, can spot a, spot a dip. But, um, you know, there is a little bit of, uh, of that there. But, you know, broadly speaking, it's still too early to, to tell how our call, which is that the ECB actually stops after just one more hike in, in January, sorry, in, in June, um, you know, to, to, to really know how that's tracking. You know, there's, a, there's a long road and a lot of data before we get there. Yeah, and let's let's wrap it up with uh, some ratings updates. Italy has one coming up, and do uh, you think that will lead to more distress in the markets, or all is clear? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a good question, and you know, I mean, we, we were you know, talking to lots of clients, you and I, this week, and I mean, that was one thing that I mean, you know, European client base, you know, they, yeah. I, I would say that the level of conviction and inspiration out there was on the low side, and you know, this was just one of the sort of tactical things that came up, um, you know, several times. Um, you know, because Fitch downgraded France after you know, having them on, um, on on negative outlook uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and they are coming to a review of Italy on Friday, and so you know, I mean, 
people sort of you know, noticing that uh, it's been widening it's now sort of towards the wide end of its its range and spread and you know wondering if maybe there's a, a little bit of a story here to to push Italy to to a, a new perhaps you know somewhat wider range and you know I I would say I would say I don't see it frankly um you know France was you know, I mean amongst other things it was already um on on negative outlook yeah, if you go through the, the Fitch reports, you can see that, you know, for example, the peer analysis, um, you know, France is France, I mean, it has institutional strengths, which are undeniable, but you know, when it comes to the hard debt metrics and you know, the kinds of things that they, you know, they would normally base a report on, you know, it did not look very good. And so you know, on, on almost any compared to its, uh, its double A peers. Right. So, you know, take that to, to Italy and you know, the comparison with the triple B peers, uh, I mean, it actually looks in line probably better on most of those. And compared to November when they you know, went through the, uh, the last, um, the last review, uh, yeah, the, the main, the, the things that really matter, that is, you know, the deficit projections, the, um, the, the debt to GDP level and trajectory. Now those and, and growth, by the way. I mean, they they had projected back then a uh, a recession in uh, in 2023 for for Italy, and you know, clearly that is no longer tracking. Um, so all the important metrics seem to be better. Uh, so uh, overall, yeah, I I, I don't see uh, the story. Yeah, personally, um, and you know, as I've repeated in recent weeks, I'm still you know, not militantly, but positive. You know, I'm, I'm moderately positive on on Italy, and you know, I don't think that this is uh, this is necessarily a major concern. And just to run through other things, I mean, no no big changes in other views either. To be honest with you, I mean, we still like being short Europe versus U- US in the long end, but like being um, you know, I mean, all the positive things I said about it, I mean, broadly, you can apply those to, to other sovereign spreads as well. Um, I think that asset swaps you know, likely tighten, and you know, particularly, I think that Shats looks, um, uh, looks, looks quite wide compared to swaps or TEA Germany, let's say. Um, now, quite like the idea uh, Imogen was talking about uh, being long. UK against um, against other countries in, in the front end. Now, I think there are some questions about the positioning, um, which a few people have highlighted to us in recent discussion um, in that trade. But fundamentally, I think that that looks um, that, that does look compelling. And um, now, other than that, you know, it's just steepness for us. So I still quite like the front end steepness. I still quite like long end steepness as a kind of strategic trade. Um, I think that there are ways that you can position our options and so on, particularly um, steepening with a bearish exposure. So, you know, all similar similar sorts of things. Um, let's see where we are next week. So, I think that's all we have time for today. Um, and if you've enjoyed today's episode, Please do hit the like button to help others to find it and, um, and, and subscribe. And we will speak to you next week. 